Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Here we are again, our favorite time of the week, and I hope you enjoy tuning in and sharing these uh, opportunities with us. We are we are prisoners of hope every week. We hope we're sharing with you the good news of the gospel and how it impacts our day-to-day lives, as well as, as you, talk, you and I talked about before we went live here, kind of looking at the autopsy of America, uh, not that we're dead, uh, but I guess uh, doing the doing the diagnosis and realizing we got some sickness in the body here, uh, but we're never depressed. Uh, you know, it, it, we have first of all, I guess we have to look at what's going on around us with our eyes wide open, and we need to know like what's sure. happening, and that's why we're doing this wonderful book and talking about the ideas in this book, Strange New World by Carl Truman, because it, it really helps us understand just the crazy, strange, as he calls it, strange new world that we find ourselves in. Yeah, he really connects the ideas. You know? we, see, we see the symptoms, we see the objective uh, actualization of these crazy ideas, and we, we just don't understand, how could someone think that way? Right. So what Carl Truman does is kind of lay out the, yeah. pr- the principles but the fact there. The fact that we now understand why people think that way doesn't change. It doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. It, it just makes me understand it more. Exactly. Uh, it's just like, oh, that's why we're so messed well, up. Well, even like this first idea of talking about, about, what, about the whole uh, pro-choice and how they see light, it was, it was illuminating for me to see this. Like, yeah. oh, that's so, why. So this, if you're following along in the book, which we encourage you to pick up a copy, this is, this is the like Cliff Notes version of his <laughs> big book. Uh, that if, you're, if you're someone who really likes to do a deep dive into these topics, he's yeah. got the mother book. This is the, the baby book, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We just try to take a chapter a week, and then, and then Andrew and I kind of process it through our own grid. Yeah. But this chapter was called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And, of course, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that title comes directly from the Declaration of Independence, one of our founding documents, uh, in which uh, the Declaration says, these are inalienable rights that we get from God, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And what's crazy is, is with the rise of expressive individualism, which we've been highlighting, these kind of sacrosanct, sacred, foundational, you know, uh, Pillars that we all just take for granted as Americans are actually under assault. And and you just mentioned one of the areas. Well, it's been redefined. Yes. They, they start with redefinition. I mean, that's if you want to attack a problem or change culture, you, you don't start with the symptom. You start with the root. So, yeah, so, that's, so you don't throw the Constitution out. That would be kind of a little bit of a challenging uh, effort right there. Yeah. But what you do blatant, is you, you, yeah. you just redefine the words. Yeah. And uh, and if you can redefine the words, then the doc the original document doesn't mean what it was intended. Don't mean what you wanted to mean. Yeah, you, you shape it in your own the- theological sure. or orthodox, sure. you know, yeah. whatever it is. Um, but it's interesting with this whole idea of personhood being internalized. So it's it's no longer about our bodies or about our neighborhoods or about the shared community that we're part of. We talked about that. Now it's become psychological. And personhood is really a matter of consciousness. So talk about this because, so, so in other words, if a person's not able to self-reflect, uh, analyze, be aware of themselves, be aware of the world around them, in other words, we're talking about um, babies in the womb, we're talking about folks that are maybe elderly and dealing with dementia, uh, how does this radical, expressive individualism impact our understanding of, of personhood, especially in areas like abortion? Right. So specifically, you talk about the right to life. 
like the fundamental right to life, right? How has that been redefined? Yeah. So, so Christian view, for instance, we yeah. we believe that that at conception, life begins, and yeah. that and that is scientifically, right. biologically, a fact. That's not what our opponents believe about this. Right. So how, many, how are they so shifted? Just, right. So, I mean, I don't know if I can explain this because I just, just understand this concept myself. But, you know, for us to look at life, there's a psychological component, there's a spiritual component, but there's also a physical component. Right. Like, it's really important, the physical component, because when we go and see whether you're alive or you're dead, they check your <laughs> heart take rate. They take your pulse. They want it. There's a physical, biological component right. to life. Life is not just one component, but when you have reduced life to just the psychological, the the the, the emotional, right. like that, and you can feel, you can have self-determination, that's where and life it, is. It's very reductionistic, and yeah. let me just say, most, uh, most theories of, of personhood or humanity apart from the Lord give us a very reductionistic view you, you got the other side of the coin you got naturalism which simply says all you are is matter right so now we naturalism denies anything like you just said of feelings emotions the spirit all you are is matter and then now we have people who are out this talk about worldview disconnect we got people who are evolutionists who are also expressive individualists uh, and they give no foundation for where their feelings are, why we should focus on the self, because where does the self come from, right? If all, all that exists is chemicals and matter. But nevertheless, uh, even like Peter Singer, Peter Singer is an ethicist at Princeton University. He was an advisor to certain presidential administrations, Clinton's uh, for one. He argues that embry embryos possess life, but they are not persons. This sounds, so, this sounds so like this, the same separation or wedge like yeah. between biology and gender. Gender and sex. Gender and yeah. sex has been uh, compartmentalized. Now we're compartmentalized life and person. So there's a, there's a life inside the womb of the mother, but it's not necessarily a person. Why is it not a person? Before we would say, well, if there's life, there's, that's obviously a person. Right, right. Um, but now they're saying, wait, no, 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 that, that, that embryo does not yet possess the power of self-consciousness, awareness, desires, dreams, all those kind of things. Well, we, 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 we assume they don't. Right. I mean, we, we even, they're talking about the, the elderly with dementia. Um, right, so they've lost a sense of so, awareness, self Well, as far as you can tell, but again, that's my question too, is how do you know for sure that they're right. not aware? How do you, are you know for sure that they don't have longing dreams and so forth? Just from your perspective, they don't, but you don't know they, you know, right. well, you, that's a slippery slope because there will be people who would be like, hey, you guys are scums, you know, you got, I mean, you can make all kinds of statements about people, but you don't really. But know. so for instance, we're, yeah. sh we're shocked that people would deny a, a child in the womb personhood. That's a shocking statement yeah. for those of us from a Christian worldview. We're also shocked that we would, we would look at an elderly person who's dealing with dementia and assume that their life is now expendable and we can just kill them yeah. uh, because somehow their quality of life doesn't meet the standard. That's a shocking, obviously, idea. Or how about this? That when the baby is born, if, if uh, 
you know, we feel like the child's still not a person for whatever external things, then we can actually kill the baby after the baby's born. Well, that's, I mean, this is like paganism. Well, this is the good question. That, okay, by this definition, which I don't agree with, when do you become a person? When a child's four, five? Yeah. When, when the child can read and write, when he couldn't color within the lines? Like, when does personhood actually start? I mean, that's a question I would answer. When, I mean, I have a nine-month-old, and she's beautiful, and she's making this i mean she's very strong-willed and she knows what she wants and whatnot so i mean what age is it different by person i mean you open up all kind of can of all kind of different questions when you start talking this distinguishing personhood and life and what we end up with is as he pointed out in the book is a form of utilitarianism which simply argues that our moral and ethical decisions should be constructed in such a way that we pursue the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of oh people. Oh my goodness! I, I mean, this is really scary kind That's of thing. That's a slippery slope too. Absolutely. So now we're now we're talking about okay, if you find out that your child has a birth defect or, uh, in the womb, uh, or you find out that um, your baby is going to be um, Down syndrome uh, baby. Um, then the argument goes like this. It's a, it's a wicked argument. Let's just state this right up front. The argument goes, well, you know what? Is that child going to be happy? That's a hypothetical. Uh, are we going to be happy? Is this child with, with his or her needs yeah. going to make our existence, my personal expressive radical individualism, am I going to be happier if I have to raise a child uh, that, that's not physically perfect? Um, what a horrific way to frame the issue. Obviously, these are moral issues, and these are these are not always easy uh, situations right. to deal with. Um, but because we believe in the sanctity of human life, uh, and because we believe this child is made in the image and likeness of God, uh, we value the personhood of this of this child, and we would do everything in our power to love this this baby and give this baby the best life possible. In other words. It wasn't all about me and my personal happiness. In fact, we found find people that could could you know comment on this that that raise children uh, that are Down syndrome children and the incredible amount of joy and and the incredible blessing that these children are. So to somehow assume that this child is less worthy of life or less of a person simply because they're not perfect is is just an evil, wicked thought. And yet that's where most of the elite intelligentsia is on this whole issue of abortion. Well, even expressive individualism now is kind of turned on its head because who are you to tell somebody what's joy? Even someone who has, you know, who are severely handicapped in whatever area, do they have not do they not have expressive individualism to dictate? Maybe maybe the, the lifestyle to you is not happy, but they're happy. Right. You know, so right. it's become such a slippery slope, very vague. Well, and these are not hypotheticals, because in states like Washington, some of our liberal states, Oregon, I mean they were pushing uh, for, for instance, assisted suicide. You know, if it's all about you and your personal happiness and whatever whatever you you know, you're the captain of your own ship and all of a sudden you feel like you don't want to live, then these states give you the power to, for assisted suicide. Somebody you know who's sanctioned by the state can come alongside of you and basically kill you. Mm. And again, this all goes back to taking the authority out of God and out of uh, his understanding of created in his image, and now you become God and you get to dictate your life on your terms. Mm. And again, this this is a scary place to be in a culture when death is celebrated and death is is justified uh, on the basis of these ideas of of expressive individualism. Yeah. Um, 
this whole idea of psychological selfhood. So that was the abortion issue. Well, it's the, life. It's, yeah, the life issue. Um, but he also talks about modern liberty. He says, freedoms once considered self-evident, like freedoms of speech, freedom of religion, um, are now under attack. We've got this cancel culture. And, and this is... This was amazing to me, because I'll go back, for instance, to when uh, marriage was being debated in Indiana. And, um, and I was wondering, how come you know, our Christian universities are not talking about biblical marriage? And on the other hand, we saw Indiana University come right out and basically said, our institution, Indiana University, we believe uh, in gay marriage. And basically, any student on this campus who's not in line with that uh, your views are not acceptable, you know, and are not going to be tolerated. I'm sitting there scratching my head thinking, what happened to higher education where the goal of higher education, like you and I might not agree on everything, but we're pursuing truth. And so we might have a debate and you might argue strongly your position and I would argue strongly my position. And when the debate was over, I would shake your hand and congratulate you and you'd congratulate me and we'd wave at the audience and hopefully everybody had a great educational experience because it was an exercise in critical thinking right and it, i was shocked that our secular institutions of higher education are almost squelching funded the, by you and i by the way yeah funded with our tax dollars <laughs> they're almost squelching uh this whole dynamic that is central to the American experiment and central to higher education and it's called healthy public debate and being able to share differences of ideas and have a healthy tolerance for one another right. and, and that's gone and and their perspective is that free speech is another moniker for oppression so yeah. free speech the purpose of free speech is to oppress you is to uh, you call it free speech, but really what it does is allow people to, the people of power, those people who are, you know, whatever, the white, male, heteronormative, whatever, yep. is to oppress you. So free, they don't want free speech, really, because it's repressive, and the right to liberty is to be liberated from this oppressiveness, right. which is caused by your free speech. By your free speech. So, it can't, so free speech, from their perspective, actually oppress, cause us to not have true liberty. Yeah, and I probably, with my illustration, I probably jumped a little bit ahead because you're hitting the nail on the head. But let, let's back yeah. up a little bit because the bigger issue, let's start with this, the whole issue of religious liberty. Yeah. Uh, Christians and, re, and, quote, religious people, we've, we've, we've often been despised as, as being, uh, you know, uh, naive, not thinking deeply, not being scientific, you know, like those are old ideas and blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's one thing. What we have now is not just, a, oh, you people are silly, I can't believe you believe that. We have an open hostility, hatred, violence towards anything religious or anything about God. And so we found ourselves a, a while back being shocked that governments would actually be coming after Christian businesses for simply wanting to express a person's faith in the public arena, which is what the First Amendment, you know, just to clarify, the First Amendment does not give you freedom to worship. That's something private. That's something that happens at church or something that happens between your ears or in your heart. That's not what the First Amendment gives you. It gives you freedom to practice your religion in the public arena. Now, this is huge. It means, it means you cannot be forced at your workplace to violate your conscience or your religious beliefs. Uh, it means in the public arena, you have the right to speak 
about what your faith is. You have the right to share your faith. You have the right to honor the Lord. And you don't have to be ashamed or keep any of that secret or hidden. Now, with the rise of the sexual revolution, we see the fall of religious liberty in terms of freedom to express our beliefs. And, and this was most prominently displayed, uh, again, in the cake battles, right? Christian uh, bakers who simply said, you know what, I'm not going to... I'm not going to use my artistic ability to create a birthday cake that celebrates gay marriage when the Bible clearly says gay marriage is not marriage at all. And we would say, all right, well, you have other options, and no one was being mean, just saying, you know, I don't, I don't want your business. That, you know, we have the right to refuse business, uh, especially business that goes against what we believe. But all of that was up for grabs. And now all of a sudden, this nice little old lady who's running a, a floral, floral shop or this young couple that just invested all their money and to start this home business, they're being vilified publicly as haters, as bigots, um, simply for trying to stand up for what's true to their faith. How in the world do we get into that situation? And, and I guess what's the connection between expressive individualism and the assault on, on liberty? a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I dealt with this firsthand, so let me, yeah. let me get personal. Yeah. I dealt with this with Governor Pence. Yeah. And you remember it was the uh, Re Religious Freedom Restoration yeah. Act. And, uh, and what it simply said was a Christian who disagrees with the LGBTQ philosophy, lifestyle, whatever, should not be forced to, to hire people, for instance, who go against their biblical convictions, should not be forced to sacrifice their biblical convictions on the altar of, of uh, the marketplace, all right? Um, of course, all of that, when, when that bill was signed into law, Indiana became the focal point. And it's interesting, he talks about that in this book. Indiana became the focal point of um, the LGBT movement, the uh, mainstream media, corporate America. There were threats about all these businesses pulling out of Indianapolis, just destroying the Indianapolis economy. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, and simply all we were trying to do was protect the religious liberties of people. But at that very moment, what happened was religious liberty now fell under the banner of bigotry. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you're not going, you're not going to hide behind your religious uh, views as, as a uh, banner or cloak that's really hiding the fact that you hate people and that you uh, are discriminating. That was the other big word, discriminating. I remember hearing our governor, Indiana is not a state that discriminates. And I kept thinking, governor, we are making discriminations with every law that we, we pass. We have to. Everybody's making, they're making discriminations. To say that we're not discriminatory yeah, is make, making a discriminatory making a, statement. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's illogical. And we tried to say this is a collision but, course. But what he was doing, he was appealing to rhetorics. And yeah. we're talking about actual logic. Yes, and, yes, and, yes, and, yes. And that's why even when I heard him make those statements, I really know we lost. Yeah, Because it, he's appealing to a rhetoric of this type of language, which is irrational because it contradicts itself at the very end. It's, it's an appeal to power. It's the appeal to appeasing to those who are in power yeah. versus someone who may be like DeSantis who's saying, we're not going to budge. This yeah. makes sense. We're not going to let little yeah. kids learn about these lifestyles. Yeah. We're not going to be bullied. We're going uh, to allow Hoosiers to we operate don't their don't to bully, especially when it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. I'm still fired up from back in 2000 <laughs> and whatever. I am too. Well, again, you brought out a good point. When we adopt the language of our ideological opponents, 
we lose. Yeah. That's why I refuse to be called the use of language homophobe, gay, all these other things. It, that's the language. That's propaganda, propagandistic language. That as soon as we lose it, we start playing by their rules. And uh, and I refuse to, yeah, to play by. Yeah, because along with these language came a certain worldview, a certain philosophy behind this. So once you give into that philosophy, you're really, you're gone. We gotta say no. We have I have a complete different worldview. We have yeah. a different perspective. Free speech is not designed to be oppressive free speech is to allow us to have the most amount of freedom Absolutely. you know and the, and the reason why they they again exactly what you said uh, they see religious freedom freedom of speech as just basically hiding your bigotry your hatred and all these different things and it's the government's job it's not the church's job it's not your parents job it's the government's job to make sure that you're not a hater you're a nice guy and that means you have to obey, abide by all these social norms that these elitists create in their own little thing. And you have to abide. That means you're a nice guy. Because if you're mean and because you right. say mean words, you tweet mean things, that means you're a hater, you're a bad person, yeah. and governments should punish you for that. No longer government is just kind of more restraining true evil. Government's job is to make sure everyone's a nice person. Yeah. And, to them. and we saw this fleshed out as high as the Supreme Court, and he goes into this, I won't get lost in the weeds, yeah, but the U.S. versus Windsor basically was, uh, the argument was on a domestic partnership that they should be getting the same rights as married couples. Of course, in, the, in that decision, it was a 5-4 decision that overturned that portion of DOMA, the D uh, Defense of Marriage Act, that said that marriage was ex exclusively between a man and a woman. Now, this has been history for since the foundation of, of history itself. Uh, marriage between a man and a woman is obvious as the nose on your face. But what they, what this was the language, they said it imposes a stigma on same-sex couples. Now, a stigma is simply a moral verdict that says some behavior is right and some behavior is wrong. Some behavior is good, some behavior is bad. What we've said for years is same-sex relationships are not healthy, they're not good, they're not biblical, they're not God-blessed, and that two men or two women are not married because by definition there has to be a man and a woman. Uh, that's what marriage is. So we're, we're arguing about what is the definition of marriage itself. But notice when the, when the Supreme Court said it imposes a stigma, what they're saying is, Imposing a stigma on any behavior or making a moral discrimination is wrong of any sort, except it doesn't come back on us. Well, no, right? you're just putting a stigma for anyone who believes in traditional marriage. Exactly. Now we're the stigma. We're the so one stigma. You're just transferring one stigma to another, which, again, doing it through legislative means is one thing, and doing it through the courts right. is another. And that's kind of what bothers me because it was done through the courts. Well, all of this, every major gain from uh, the left was won through the courts. It was well, all judicial activism. By the way, right now there's a pending bill that's trying to call the um, Respect for Marriage Act yeah, or whatever. I, in fact, I'm on a live uh, briefing on that right after this podcast today. After Tony Perkins, I saw about. Yeah, yeah. Which we you had to come. I mean, we've been. I've, I've been writing. Uh, Todd Young. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I yeah. just wrote Todd. Yeah, maybe we'll talk this, about that a little this bit. This impacts yeah. all of us. Yeah. So here's the deal: objections to gay marriage were considered a matter of, and I'm quoting the the language here: constitutional animus which in normal language means irrational bigotry. So anybody that was against gay marriage, it's because you have an irrational form of bigotry. Now that in and of itself is an incredible 
moral statement because it goes against two millennia of, of belief of Christians that marriage is between a man and a woman and basically stigmatize us, as you just pointed out, and said that we're just a bunch of irrational bigots. Um, so Windsor provided the legal background for the uh, Obergefell-Hodges constitutional case, uh, siding with gay marriage, and it emphasized the autonomy of individuals and in being able to choose whom they wanted to marry. And I, I wanted to read the, uh, the Justice Kennedy, because Kennedy here is preaching uh, expressive individual, which is what we're talking about. This was the strange uh, uh, ruling that he gave in the majority uh, summary. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe and of the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters should not define the attributes of personhood where they formed under compulsion of the state. Um, There's so many contradictions in there that I can't even, compulsion of the state. So someone's, if someone's belief in life, their mystery, their meaning universe is to murder the whole neighborhood. If that's their meaning, is it not under the compulsion of the state? I know I'm using a very extreme example, but that statement in itself, I mean, is it not under the compulsion of state to make sure this guy doesn't murder his neighborhood if he self-identifies the as, meaning yeah. of life as a murderer? Well, what we saw here, what's, what's most important, we moved from we moved from objective, legal, clearly defined terminology into really metaphysical. It's almost religious. Language. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's become the high priest. Yeah. Your job as a justice. Oh. Yeah, but the, but but the, but the point for this yes. podcast, yes. I think, is that statement is the embodiment of expressive individuals. Yeah. It, it, it recognizes she, a shift in the thinking of some of the members of the court that basically whatever you feel is right for you, nobody, there, there's no outside authority that can say, well, that's not right or that's wrong. or We, we can't even uh, touch it because you have the power to define your own existence. But it's contradicted because you're telling a whole other group of people they don't have the power and you're using the power of state to compel them otherwise. So it, it uh, you're exactly this, right. This is what so frustrating. Uh, and that's what happens when you lose a transcendent source of authority, yeah. which is why we go back and argue for God and for, for the truth of God's word. Last point we'll talk about here, because in the time that we have left, um, is this shift from tolerance to equality. Now, I, I would define tolerance, the old version of tolerance, meaning I could disapprove of, of your position, your lifestyle, your choices, but do it respectfully. In other words, we're still Americans, we're still citizens, you're still my, yeah. you're still a human being made in the image and likeness of God, so I'm gonna right. treat you with dignity, even though I'm, I might vehemently uh, disagree with, with your position. Sure, sure, it's like... That's like gone. Right. And that kind of leads us to, to what you were saying earlier. I am shocked, like say, say you or I would be invited to uh, a, a state university to give a lecture on why um, we believe that expressive individualism is a really bad idea and, and why the uh, transgender ideology is a threat to public education or something like that. Those topics would be perfectly uh, suited for any university as a topic of interest. Students could come out, they could listen, we could have question and answer time, they could push back, we could have a wonderful, logical, meaningful, tolerant discussion but that's not happening now whenever a conservative uh especially a white male 
patriarchal, heteronormative, all these terms that we have. If you fit in any of those descriptions and you're invited to speak on a college campus, there will be an uproar. Even the faculty would be against it, and they will cancel you. Like, if you got invited, you'll get disinvited. If you actually show up, there will probably be an attack on your on your person. Uh, I mean, there will be physical violence. There will be yelling and screaming. There will be a disrupting blow, blow horns. I mean, we've seen this in our universities, and, and you brought out a really good point. Why is it that something that used to be a liberal hallmark, right, a liberal virtue, freedom of speech, that used to be the, the buzzword on campuses, right? Now we're not seeing freedom of speech. We're seeing freedom of speech act, actually shut down everywhere. But the, the reason behind it is rather interesting because, again, it, it, it reflects the shift that we've seen in understanding personhood. Talk about the cancel culture and what you said, the whole the whole Marxist template that's overlaid this between oppressors and the oppressed as it relates to free speech. Right. I mean, like, why am I shut down? Why can't I come on campus? Why can't I share a Christian worldview? Yeah, because we don't, the, the freedom of speech, we, there, there's no longer a respect for freedom of speech as the original meaning. I don't, it's no longer value. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech are not valued. Those, the First Amendment, along with the Second Amendment, these are all seen as dangerous to whatever institution they want the to the establishment. And, and, and the reason is because they're seen as oppressive tools. They're simply tools. It's like the police. They're, they're tools to keep those who are oppressed down. And that's the paradigm you see. So when people mention freedom of speech, you don't hear freedom to exchange idea. You don't hear equal, equality. You don't hear like growth. All you hear is it's just a moniker. It's just a term to oppress people. So, so even that word freedom of speech no longer means what it means. What it means something to you, it doesn't mean anything to the other side. And we gotta understand that. Words, this is shocking to me as I started reading about critical race theory and some of these things. The basic argument is those who are currently in the oppressor category have forfeited their freedom of speech because say I'm a white guy, which I am, and say you're an, say you're an Asian guy. I'll, I'll try to you pretend. I'll try to Let's just say that. you're the you're the victimized Asian and I'm the oppressive white guy. Because I'm not Asian and I can't be, I guess I could be, depending on how much we believe uh, that we can. That's how, how fluid are we? How really? fluid we are. Right. But let's just say I, I, I can't be in this situation. I can never be you. Yeah. That means I can't experience your history. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be an Asian. Yeah. I don't know the kind of uh, uh, racism you've been victimized by. But be, and because I can never experience what you have experienced, therefore, by definition, I don't have the right to speak. Yep. So yep. I can't even talk to you. I can't share my opinions with you. I can't seek to even bridge it because I'm the oppressor. You're the oppressed, and because you're the oppressed, I am no longer able to even have anything to say yep. about what's going on. So they shut you down. They're like. We don't want to hear you. We, you and, and in fact, this is this is crazy because it's creating a reverse racism culture in America. Reverse oppressive culture. Uh, yeah, because now we're not talking about we're not talking about on the virtue of race. We're talking about the the whole Marxist template of oppressor oppressed. So now there are places on universities where white people aren't even allowed. Now this goes. This takes us all the way back to when. Black people couldn't go in certain restaurants or couldn't become members of certain golf courses. And so we tried to tear all that down so that we could all be together. And now all we've done is we flipped the, we flipped the, the template 
And now we're, we're just creating a, a reverse form of racism. Let, let me read this part that kind of ties it all together, okay? This is from chapter 8 of the, the book on Strange New World. The claim that certain narratives are psychologically oppressive, okay? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Your story your, your, is psychologically oppressive. Free right. speech, free of religion is psychologically oppressive. Is plausible to so to many because our modern intuitions are to see ourselves as psychological beings, and anything that obstructs our psychological happiness, our sense of self, is bad, oppressive, and something to be opposed. Okay, victimhood yeah. therefore has an intrinsic virtue to it. Right. Think about that for a second. In this context, when you are a victim, you claim to victims, you, you go out of your way to say, what can I be a victim by? Because there's intrinsic virtue in this Marxist scheme. Everyone's racing to become the first victim because the more victim you are, the more virtue you the have. The higher moral ground you have. Anything that can lay claim to the vocabulary of the victim has unlocked a major, even irresistible source of cultural power in that culture today. Mm -hmm. Freedom of speech and academic freedom simply licenses to oppress and marginalize the weak. True freedom is found in closing down such tradition, traditional virtues and replacing them with victim-centered authoritarianism. So it's a really, a, it becomes a culture, a religion of victim. How can I express myself? How can I label myself as, as many more victim terms? See, it's interesting because we were taught, we were taught, and from what I read from MLK Jr., is we're taught not to be thinking like victims, to think like victors. Right. Uh, the Bible teaches us to be that we are victors and not that we are perpetually victim. It actually diminishes us. But in this religional context, the, the person racing to the top become the number one victim is the winner. Yep. And what's scary uh, in our places, again, of higher, higher learning, higher education, which I, I use in quote marks, because uh, it's not higher learning at all. Uh, but what we're seeing is a victim-centered authoritarianism, meaning um, if, you, if you're not seeing the, this orthodoxy, off the orthodoxy sheet, yep. and you're not in the victim-oppressed you know, paradigm, yep. the Marxist paradigm, um, you are canceled, you're not even allowed to get a job in those universities, you are marginalized, you are... You are uh, overlook for promotion if you're a student um, you're you're vilified and attacked um, it's it's very much authoritarianism it's it's it opens the door to tyranny uh, it says this is the only way you can believe if you don't believe the state punishes you the university punishes you um, and uh, and this should be I mean this should concern all of us I mean when you're I'm, I got kids now that are college age and I'm really reconsidering uh, where in the world I would send my kids. Even a lot of the Christian universities are completely woke. Yep. Um, and uh, because this is a, this is, you're, you, again, we're looking at the signs of the times and realizing things are very, very ripe uh, for uh, a lot of evil to happen in the hands of the powerful, you know. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I was just listening to an incredible book. Um, Called the happiest man on earth, I think it's a it's a story of a Jewish survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, unbelievable, but he was just saying how similar the times are in America uh, to to the rise of what he experienced in Nazi Germany. Um, and you know it's funny because they 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 always talk about us like the establishment as we're fascists, we're enemies of democracy. It's just the opposite. The left is the most pro progressive fascist. Um, entity on planet earth and you see the signs of, of all of this kind of totalitarianism that's springing up everywhere when government gets out of control.
and we're not a democracy, we're a democratic republic. Yeah, well, that's, that's a republic. Really good, that's absolutely. another, because that's what I said, oh, it's a threat against democracy. Hold up, we're not mob rule. Yeah. We're not mob rule. No. no. So. But next week, we're going to talk about something really interesting, because we, the final chapter of this book, it talks about what are some things we can do. Yeah, and you came in here a little bit bummed out because you you yeah. read the last chapter, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to drill a little deeper. I think I need to have a little chat chat with Carl Truman and kind of uh, encourage him a little bit because there's a lot we can do. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot we can do. Um, I know we're philosophizing about a lot of different things, but you know I want to make it practical. There's yeah. things we can we can do with our hands even right now, yeah. even even that for our, with our kids. I got young kids. I can't check out, man. I got, I got kids and grandkids to think about. Absolutely. Got to put and, our hands to the plow. I'll just say this too. The whole premise of why he wrote that book was we, we cannot bring about transformation and change until we're aware of how we got where we're at. Yeah. And I think that's what we've been endeavoring to do in, the, in this series of, of podcasts is yeah. help connect the intellectual and philosophical dots yeah. uh, so that we realize when you're looking at this craziness, uh, there is a actually a, a logic behind it, a reason behind it. So anyway, Hope this is helpful to you. Again, we love hearing back from you. Send those comments. Make sure you share this widely. And uh, and uh, until next week, keep your heads up. Jesus is Lord. We win.